Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I get it. Charity is the best. Nothing gets Susan going like throwing a, a benefit for kids with leukemia. But isn't that just about making you feel good? Well, I don't do my job to feel good. Then why do you do it? To help people. But why? Presumably to make you feel good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Streaming, a decoding TV podcast. I am David Chen. I'm Siddhant Adlaka. Welcome to the show. Each week, This Week in Streaming, we'll cover a show that's new and interesting in the world of streaming. We'll tell you if it's worth watching, and eventually, we'll review and spoil and discuss the entire season of the show. Today, we'll be discussing the first two episodes of Dead Ringers on Prime Video. Next week, we'll be covering the first four episodes of Mrs. Davis, streaming right now on Peacock. And the week afterwards, we'll be wrapping up our coverage of Dead Ringers. And the week after that, Sananta Laka, I believe, is heading off to uh, the Cannes Film Festival, right, Siddharth? That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I think you'll be covering it, right? Or are you just vacationing? Well, what's going on uh, over there? Both, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm treating it as a working vacation. and um, But hey, who knows? With the, uh, the numerous uh, protests and strikes that are happening, they may end up uh, pulling the electricity to the festival. Oh, so we'll wow. see what happens. Great, yeah. great. Um, well, uh, we have been so grateful to have Siddharth here to recap and discuss these first few shows with us uh, here on This Week in Streaming on the Decoding TV podcast. If you have any thoughts on this podcast, and specifically This Week in Streaming, please shoot us an email at decodingtv at gmail.com. We'd love to understand what you think of this format and whether and how you think we should continue. And of course, you can always follow us on all the normal platforms, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, uh, at Decoding TV. We'd love to have you there. We're posting new videos each week. So, Quickly, Siddhartha Dlaka, before we recap and discuss and spoil the first two episodes of Dead Ringers on Prime Video, uh, you know, we got some feedback that people would love a, a pre-spoiler section that's just overall, do you think people should watch the show? Uh, so what do you think, Siddhartha? Should people watch Dead Ringers on Prime Video based on the first two episodes we've seen? Do you want a one-word answer? Uh, it can be a one-word or one-sentence answer. How about that? One-word answer? Sure. Uh, one-sentence answer? Sure, if you have the time, um, it, it's a pre- it's 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 a pretty good. It, you know, it's not bad. I yeah. I, I quite enjoyed it, um, and I enjoy the movie that it's based on, which I'm sure we'll discuss in more detail next time. But yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, briefly. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like it. I'm loving the show so far. A huge fan of Rachel Vice, and I think she's one of our most brilliant actors. Um, Sean Durkin is also a director I have a great deal of respect <coughs> for. Uh, uh, no worries. Uh, I, sh- I should point out, by the way, that the reason this episode is a little bit delayed is because Siddhanth has uh, caught the plague, right? No, no. Ah. I, 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 don't, I don't know what you had, but Siddhanth had no, uh, no. He, you had a, a cold or a flu this past week, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I my, my COVID days are behind me, so it's not that, but it was something <laughs> else. 
Yeah, so if you hear Siddhanth cough, uh, that's why. Uh, we are really grateful that Siddhanth was able to uh, drag himself out of bed today to talk about <laughs> dead, dead Ringers here on This Week in Streaming. But yeah, that's what's going on. Um, so, uh, And that's also why we're a little bit delayed. But hopefully you are, you're on the mend and you're feeling better. Uh, certainly here on YouTube.com, Decoding TV, uh, where we're streaming live, you're you're looking your old jovial self, Siddhanth. So, thank you. And oh, I just realized something. Uh, for people who uh, aren't watching the video version of this, uh, Dave and I are actually matching T-shirts. It just so happens. Oh, we're we're going twinsies today. Yeah, same so. same shade of blue. Yep. But I do want to suggest that you follow us at YouTube.com Decoding TV because uh, so far, and I believe. For the foreseeable future, we're going to be broadcasting this week and streaming live until it becomes technologically unwise to do so. That's what we're doing here. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So right now we're going to spoil and discuss the first two episodes of Dead Ringers, which are just titled unceremoniously one and two. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will not spoil anything for future week's episodes. We'll not spoil anything from the movie Dead Ringers. Uh, but next week, or I'm sorry, in a couple weeks, when we discuss Dead Ringer Season 1, we will be discussing the movie. We'll be comparing it. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Very interesting to do that. But for now, it's just going to be, uh, hey, check out Dead Ringers. And we're going to discuss the first two episodes right here on This Week in Streaming. So let's begin. Based off of David Cronenberg's 1988 thriller of the same name, Dead Ringers, the streaming show, follows twin gynecologists Elliot and Beverly Mantle. In the opening scene, they're bothered by a man in a diner who makes a pass at them, where you get the sense that Elliot is the more outspoken of the two, while Beverly keeps her mind on work. This behavior also extends to their nights out, where Elliot wants to have fun, but Beverly wants to get back to the lab. Beverly experiences a miscarriage, and it appears Elliot is trying to help Beverly conceive, though it's not yet clear how or why or what other experiments Elliot is running at the lab, operated by their colleague named Tom. At the hospital where they work, patients come and go in and out all the time, birth after birth after birth, but things don't always go well. In particular, we see one black woman's post-birth symptoms not taken seriously, and then she dies shortly after uh, giving birth, while another woman's child is lost altogether. The twins want to change the system by opening their own boutique birthing center, but that means convincing billionaire philanthropist and Sackler analog Rebecca Parker, her board members and her rich eccentric family, which they try to do at a getaway filled with strange mind games. Beverly is also smitten by one of her patients, the actress Genevieve Cotard, but she can't handle the pressure of examining her, so she asks Elliot to covertly switch with her, which is something you get the sense that they've done before. Meanwhile, their assistant Greta appears to be up to something shady as well, deleting voicemail messages from their mother while collecting samples of at least one of their DNA via used tampons, though we don't know whose order she's acting on. All we know is that Elliot is the more controlling, more demanding twin, and at some point, Beverly joins a support group to talk about the freedom that she feels in Elliot's absence, though it isn't entirely clear if Elliot has died, as Beverly claims, or if this is just Beverly's way of coping. All six episodes of Dead Ringers are available to stream. We've seen the first two. So, Sanatha Laka, let's start by discussing... Uh, what are overall thoughts on the show? What it does well are, uh, you know, what, what do we think it, it doesn't do well? Um, and, and let's start with this. You know, this show has some of the most graphic depictions of childbirth I've ever seen on television. Uh, it, it actually has a, a content warning for yeah. uh, childbirth, which I actually think would have been quite helpful uh, watching House of the Dragon season one. Uh, another show that we covered on the Decoding TV network because uh, <laughs> it has a lot of that type of content as well. Uh, we also see how impersonal and brutal the hospital environment is, how poorly patients are treated, how many easily averted disasters come to pass. The ostensible purpose of the show uh, and, and those scenes, I think, 
are to show you why the current system is so desperately in need of reform. How well did all that stuff work for you? Well, I think those are two sort of separate things. One, you know, the birth scenes, uh, whether it's, um, you know, vaginal birth or C-section birth. Um, I think, you know, yeah, like you said, they're, they're fairly graphic. But I guess if you've seen enough scenes like that over the years or, you know, witnessed something like that yourself, which I haven't, but I've, you know, seen it in plenty of media, it's it's not something that'll really, like, bother you. Uh, but at the same time, it is much more uh, explicit and graphic than, you know, your average TV show, which, uh, you know, makes sure to, like, cover it up. It's certainly not something that would air on, like, you know, a, a mainstream network. So this is a very, very streaming thing or, you know, in the case of House of the Dragon, a very HBO type of thing. Uh, but as far as um, the the system goes, you know, uh, the reason they want to open the birthing center, I think uh, those scenes are fairly clear in in the ways that, you know, sometimes women's pain, especially black women's pain, is not uh, taken entirely seriously or entirely into consideration. Um, and so you do kind of get a sense of what exactly uh, the mental twins, well, not, I, I shouldn't say exactly, you get a sense of what the mental twins want to improve upon, you know, what they would want changed or improved at the birthing center, uh, at their boutique birthing center. But um, I, I can't really say that the show has yet uh, delved into um, any explicit fixes that they would make. Not that it needs to yet, because, you know, we're still right. just two episodes in. Uh, but but you do get a sense of what's wrong. And um, uh, as for how they plan to fix it, I think that uh, sort of remains to be seen. Uh, but yeah, I think as a baseline for the show's premise, I think it works both visually and emotionally. Absolutely. And I should say, I, I really support these kind of depictions being in more of our mainstream media. Uh, I think that, uh, a lot of the depictions of childbirth in particular, popular culture depictions have really hidden the pain and the dangers of it, um, and have made it largely invisible to men. And uh, I'm grateful when shows like this uh, try to provide a more uh, realistic on the ground uh, depiction of what it's like. So uh, I, I think what the show is doing in that regard is interesting so far. But as you point out, it remains to be seen whether it actually is going to go anywhere uh, meaningful. Right. Um, Fe feminist King David Chen. Mm, I wish, but uh, I I'm trying. man. I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, I think. Uh, uh, but let's let's talk about something else. You know, I think Rachel Weisz is one of our most talented actors alive today. Mm -hmm. And in Dead Ringer, she has to play two sisters, each with a distinct personality, oftentimes in the same physical space. A huge set of filmmaking tricks is employed to create this reality. One thing that is kind of clear is they have different life, uh, sorry, uh, hairstyles that match their personality, as it were. Uh, I think uh, it's Beverly's that has the hair tied back, and yeah. therefore she's the kind of more. Uh, restrained, proper, professional kind of person. Uh, but Ellie has her hair down and is, let's just say, more um, willing to uh, try out new things. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, and so I'm curious, did the illusion work for you? Did you feel like, hey, these are two separate people most of the time while you're watching this? Or could you not get out of your mind? It's Rachel Weisz playing two different characters. Well, I think... Um First of all, you know, physically and cinematically, I think we've reached a point where the stuff is pretty much seamless. We'd 
you know, we'd reached this point a while ago. I think if you look back at uh, something like the social network with the body doubles, uh, or even if you go back, you know, further just to like, uh, you know, simple locked off split screens, like maybe in the 60s or 70s. Right. Um, so, so it's, it's always been like physically, you've always been able to create the illusion that, okay, these, these two twins are in the same space. Uh, and I think emotionally, it can be a little harder sometimes for a lot of actors to maintain that illusion because it depends on what they're attempting to do. Are they attempting to create two characters who are very similar, two characters who are very different? And uh, as someone who has grown up watching a lot of Bollywood movies where twins are like, uh, you know, a, a big, yeah. they've been a big thing in Bollywood where you have what's called the double role, which is like a challenge for a lot of actors. I've seen a lot of actors like go in like very, very, very different directions, like to two unrealistic extremes. Uh, but what, what Vice does, um, I think, you know, the first time you meet the mantle twins, you can tell this sort of a difference between them, between the way they approach the world and how they approach situations. But there's enough similarity that you can also believe that, okay, these are, you know, two people who come from the same place, um, you know, from the same background. Um, they live similar lives. They have, you know, similar thoughts and preoccupations. So I think she uh, walks that line in a really interesting way where you can tell the difference in more ways than just the hairstyle. Uh, but she's not creating two characters who are so at odds with each other that you can't believe that they're sisters. I am not sure I 100% agree so far. Um, Technologically, I think the show is a marvel. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the way it looks and the way that these two characters interact with each other is incredible. One of the very first scenes where you introduce these characters is in in like one of the opening shots. The, The two of them are walking down the street in New York, right? That's the shot. And, uh... The, you know, uh, Beverly is telling Elliot about a miscarriage that she's just had. And then at one point they stop and they embrace and it's all yeah. done in one long continuous shot. Mm-hmm. And it, it was ama- I was I was amazed because watching it is just a mind blowing experience because I'm, I'm asking I'm wondering, like, how did they do this? How, how do they film this? And you realize, of course, in order to achieve this, every single shot in the the show needs to be meticulously planned out, right? Like mm-hmm. they can't just wing it because they need to know exactly what coverage to get in what lighting circumstances to get it. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think overall from a technical standpoint, I never questioned it. I was just like, this is amazing. Cause sometimes it's a shot reverse shot, very standard. They probably have a Rachel Weiss body double, but sometimes they're both in the same shot for an extended period of time. And it's really just very, very convincing in that opening scene. I think, um, I think Elliot like takes Beverly's sunglasses or or vice versa, right? And like one of them takes the other sunglasses, yeah, uh, out of each other's hands. It's just like wow, what a it's a small gesture, but it's such a unflashy, beautiful way of conveying. Hey, th- by the way, these are two character; these are two separate people, and you're never going to question that during the course of this uh, this show, right? So I, I loved it from a technical standpoint. Uh. Also, the performances are great, but I, I did find it to be, you know, I'm trying to check my biases here, Siddhanth, and I'm trying to think about, like, how I would react if it was um, uh, one man playing two of these roles, you know, uh, which I probably, I, I will do once I rewatch Dead Ringers in preparation for our uh, season one discussion. But I just felt like the Beverly character 
was so out of control. Like there's a whole sequence in episode two where they're trying to get this money and she is just, she DGAF. She is just saying and doing all kinds of inappropriate things. Rachel Weiss is, I, I believe, 53 Sorry, years do you, old. Do you mean, uh, do you mean Elliot? Elliot, I apologize. Elliot, the Elliot okay. character, yeah. Um, Rachel Weiss is 53 years old. I think she's playing like a, a bit of a younger character in the show. Uh, but it just felt to me like someone in their 40s who she she kind of is acting like someone in their 20s, you know, in terms of how mm-hmm. silly she is. And mm-hmm. I, I, I want to say like, okay, I'm not saying that somebody who is uh, a doctor or somebody who is in their 40s or whatever can't be zany. Um, mm-hmm. But it just felt to me like, hey, if these are two people that want to be taken seriously, Elliot completely ignores the pre-brief on how to approach the Parkers and their family and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. uh, it just seemed to me, you know, it, it kind of um, stretched my credibility that these are two separate people. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, mm-hmm. or, or that this is like plausibly somebody who could have made it this far in this field, uh, behaving the way in which Elliot does. What do you think, Sidon? No, I do get that. And, you know, just as an addendum to what I said earlier, that they are believably different people while being sisters. I, I do think that, you know, some of the decisions uh, made in order to make that differentiation don't always work. Like you said, like um, Elliot being, you know, a, a very like over the top kind of character. Um, I think it, it, it works in the context of what the second episode is for sure. Um, just like tonally, but I, I do get what you're saying because um, I am, I am sort of contradicting myself here because I don't, uh, I, I don't I don't think it's like an A or B kind of thing in my mind, really, like, you know, a yes or no as to um, whether she feels realistic. Uh, but I, I think maybe that's the wrong question for a show like this, where, um, you know, not to get ahead of myself, where, you know, the, the opening credits are these sort of little toys and playthings. And it feels like all the characters on the show, including the mantles, uh, the playthings of the creators, you know, they're being molded in these very interesting, if unrealistic ways to to achieve, I would say, a fun outcome. I think it's the show at times is surprisingly fun, despite the subject matter. And I think uh, Vice's performance, especially as Elliot, kind of speaks to kind of speaks to that in some ways. But I can see how it can be jarring as well, especially uh, especially with you know, Beverly, the younger, more reserved one, being as, I would say, grounded as she is. So I do get what you're saying. Yeah. At the same time, though, you you do make a good point about tone, which is I thought the second episode was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it largely involves this getaway where they're trying to convince Rebecca Parker and her friends to back their birthing center. And despite everything I've just said, Elliot is the one that has a story and personality that resonates more with the Parkers. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, she is completely going off the map with everything that she's saying and doing. But like, ultimately I think that resonates with the people that she's trying to impress more. Um, So I I do acknowledge that, but it just felt like, wow, if they're dealing with people who aren't eccentric billionaires, like the Parkers, I I don't know that Elliot's approach would be super successful. You know, um, and in the past, I assume they have dealt with these kinds of benefactors before. Uh, so it felt a little weird. Tonally, I, I do want to say that 
the second episode was really interesting because the first episode is pretty bleak. Uh, it shows you extremely what, what, what to my you know eye are like fairly realistic depictions of childbirth. Um, but it also shows you kind of the inadequacies of the system and how uh, how damaged it can be, it can be to women and children. Uh, and uh, I, I thought, oh, we're in for like a very dark, gritty, ultra realistic uh, show that's going to be relentlessly a downer. Uh, and then episode two happens, and it is hilarious. It is one of the most funny things I've seen this year. Um, and I, I just thought that was an interesting choice of tone. I have no idea what tone the third episode is going to be. Uh, but yeah, how did the kind of mix of tones work for you, Sadat? Uh, weirdly, it took a little while for me to settle into because um, it, it goes back and forth a whole bunch at first, the second episode, between the pre-brief in the car and the actual conversation at uh, the table with all the investors. And yeah. even before that, it starts like it, it begins um, like after all of it is over and it flashes back. So I couldn't really orient myself, you know, uh, right. in time or emotionally at first. But once it focuses, once it just sticks to that conversation itself and lets it play out and lets the characters kind of dictate what's going on. I found it really nerve wracking. I, I, I found myself uh-huh. like the discomfort I was feeling at first, which is like, I don't really like this became, Oh, I, I still don't like it, but in a way that I like, does that make sense? Yeah. Where, where I felt like totally. locked into the situation and, the anxiety of what was going on. So I saw. I, I was... saw. Bo is afraid recently, and that's how it described that ah, movie as well. Did you yeah. see Bo is afraid? I did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, a similar situation for you, or did you did you not like that movie? No, I love Bo is afraid. Oh yeah, me I too. think me it's too. it's yeah. similarly like uh, hilarious and horrifying. Yeah. And interestingly, um, not going to talk about the David Cronenberg Dead Ringers yet, but um, I got a very Brandon Cronenberg vibe from that second episode. I know he has nothing to do with the show, certainly, but if you've seen Infinity Pool, yes, in very film, Infinity Pool esque, the second episode, yeah, for sure, yeah. yeah, the the idea of like almost revelry. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, I mean, that brings me to another one of my topics that I wanted to discuss with you today, which is like mm-hmm. one of the things I've been worried about in a post succession world is whether or not that show has ruined rich people drama for me. You know, is is am I ever going to be able to watch another rich people show and have it be meaningful because Succession has already done it so well? But then in comes mm. Dead Ringers with one of the most hilarious episodes about billionaires that I've seen in a while. Um, how did you feel about how sharply the show lampooned the world of rich people in episode two? I'll say a couple of things that I really enjoyed. Uh, for, first of all, the the episode of Succession I would most closely compare this one to episode two of Dead Ringers to is. Um, bore on the floor. 
where where basically like in succession, Logan Roy gathers all of his top lieutenants in a place, and then like things turn really dark and upsetting. And you really get the sense in both Bore on the Floor and Episode Two of Dead Ringers, anything could happen. Like someone could die, and no one would ever hear about it again. Like they they would find they have the resources to like cover up that person's death, and no one ever speaks about it again. Um, that it's a similar vibe. But I love how eccentric this cast of characters was. Um, you have like Rebecca Parker's wife. You have Rebecca Parker's uh, friend, ex ex uh, girlfriend, I think, also there with her husband. Um, you have a guy who's super into uh, AR VR and his translator, and and just like uh, and how unimpressed uh, all of those people are with what the Mantle Twins are. It, it, you know, another mm-hmm. show that it reminds me of is also Fleischman in Trouble, where okay. uh, Fleischman. Uh, is it Fleischman is in trouble? Fleischman is in trouble is the name of the show. Brilliant show. And the one of the main characters, Fleischman, the Fleischman of the title, I think, maybe, depending on how you view the movie, <laughs> or view the show, uh, is uh, a doctor. But he's surrounded by people who are hedge fund billionaires and uh, pharmaceutical executives. And people, basically people who are like, he's making like 300 grand a year. He's surrounded by people who make like, you know, 3 million a year. And it's a very different world. That's kind of a similar vibe where you see how impressive these mantle twins are uh, and how, what they're able to achieve and so on. Uh, and then, but then you put them in a world of these billionaires and the billionaires are just like really unimpressed and very bored. Uh, but in ways that are very, funny and dysfunctional mm-hmm. and shows kind of their lack of imagination and understanding of the real world in many ways. All right. I've been talking for a while. Sit down. What do you think of uh, dead ringers take on the world of the rich? Uh, I think it's different enough from succession just because um, it's a different kind of rich people. Um, they're not as, you know, front facing, not as wordy. Uh, these are not media rich people. These are pharmaceutical rich people who, whose idiosyncrasies, you know, behind the scenes um, are, I, I guess, disconnected from the outside world in a way. Whereas on Succession, you know, uh, every one of the Roys needs to have like an on-camera personality as well. Uh, yeah. Whereas these people, yeah. they can just, you know. Yeah, just some, some of them can just chill in the background, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, And not have to in any way, you know, face or reckon with like, the cognitive dissonance of their or their family's actions. Like you said, there's a, uh, a sort of uh, a very, what is it? The Sackler vibe going on. With yeah. Like the, uh, there, one... there is one family in the, in yeah. the real world that we live in that has been responsible yeah. for the opioid de- epidemic. Yeah. And, uh, and they refer to this family in the dead ringers universe as having been responsible for the same. So I assume they are a Sackler analog and yeah, it, what, what is the psychology of people who know that that is how they are talked about. And you yeah. do get a, you do get a glimpse of that in the daughter character where she says, we made a really good product. It was so good. People couldn't stop using it. That was kind of the rationale, right? Um, Whew, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but yeah, any other thoughts on, on the, uh, on the uh, perspective on rich people that this show has? No, I think um, I, I think I'll probably have a more fully formed idea of that as the show goes on, because right now uh, I can't really tell if, you know, this is something that's just limited to one episode or if we're, you know, going to see more of the um, 
billionaire philanthropist character going forward. I think so far, it's like you said, it's a very satirical take. It's a very murky take. Like I, I, you know, as hilarious as they are, I hate them. I hate every single one of them. So I think it's very <laughs> anti-succession in a way where like succession, they're all terrible people, but God, I love them. Um, well, you say you say anti-succession, but I know that there's people who watch succession and they kind of hate watch those characters on the show. So uh, I think there's you, you can watch succession in the same way is what I'm saying, you know? OK, fair enough. Yeah. But I, I, I know like people have different opinions on it. So but suffice to say, you find very little redeemable about these characters. Yeah, and also we I, I don't think we've seen enough of them yet to really say much more than that. And uh, yeah, it's hard to say how much a part of the show they're going to be going forward. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to highlight there are so many funny moments, so, so many like amazing moments with these characters. Um, mm-hmm. There's the moment at dinner when one of them can't stand Elliot's swearing, and you can see her slowly lose her composure as the yeah. the conversation goes on. I thought that was hilarious. Really well edited as well. Um, at one point, Elliot accosts one of the guests and has sex with him and forces his interpreter to watch, uh, which is very, very daring gambit, I thought. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a very funny... Uh, comedy of errors that they all get themselves in in, in episode two. Um, so uh, those are a couple of things I wanted to discuss. Siddharth, any anything that stuck out to you that you want to discuss about Dead Ringers episodes one and two? Yeah. So there's one thing I really like about it, which I hinted at earlier, which is um, the opening credit sequence. Uh, I think, you know, in the age of modern prestige TV, it can be hard to package your show in a unique way uh, because, you know, in the early 2010s, you had uh, a couple of like, landmark opening title sequences that kind of set the stage for everything that would come after. There was Game of Thrones and there was the first season of True Detective. And I'm not even sure like either of those was the first of their kind, but they were so big and successful and good at what they did that every you know subsequent opening title sequence was kind of compared to them, whether it was the miniatures or the um the you know almost these impressionistic, you know, overlapping images uh, with, you know, negative space and like shapes of characters. Uh, This is the first one I've seen in a very long time that does anything like substantially different with its opening credits. And that is its use of miniatures. I just realized that I, I said that about game of Thrones, its use of miniatures, a completely different way. It uses miniatures, the idea of miniatures in a different way. It's not Mm -hmm. using castles and, you know, maps it's using, you know, characters like it's uh, like they're being set up in Hereditary, the Ariasta film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but more than moody music, it uses um, "Sweet Dreams" by Eurythmics, which I think is such a weird and daring choice uh-huh. because it's 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 familiar music and also it sets like a very fun and upbeat tone for what can be a kind of dour show. Yeah. Kind of dark, um, dark and upsetting show at times. Yeah, so. but I, I don't know. Something about it works for me. Um, even though there are things that aesthetically about the show don't quite work, uh, I think it's like it's a very drab-looking show, and not in a way that always suits it. I mm-hmm. think you know, yeah, you can make you know aesthetic decisions that you know work for a show that is meant to be dour and grim. But this one just seems like it just has this kind of 
washed out non-committal color palette with like no real contrast to it uh it's it's an eyesore and it's muddy it's just this kind of like gray wash that isn't dramatically interesting to watch at too many points so i think rachel weiss is kind of doing a lot of the dramatic heavy lifting there yeah uh i I think you're right like there's not much uh contrast and saturation in, in the colors for the show right and that does give it this very dull mood i'm curious how the rest of the show is going to evolve i do think we get a little bit more color when we're outside of the hospital and i think for the most part the hospital stuff is really supposed to make you feel like it is supposed to make you feel pun like it is supposed to feel like a punishing environment uh and and i appreciate that it does um but yeah uh, overall the show doesn't really deviate much from that in general so it can feel a little samey for sure Um, yeah and and i think an extension of that sort of non-committal vibe is uh, I think sometimes the show at least in its first two episodes isn't always dramatically clear about what's going on and I don't mean like you know sometimes I have trouble differentiating between uh, Elliot and Beverly because I think you know to a degree that can be the point in scenes where they're not talking or you know performing any actions Uh, but I think sometimes like it's what's happening isn't clear but not in a way that lends itself to like mystery or intrigue like the very end of the first episode when we find out that beverly is uh in this group therapy session talking about how elliot has died um i i couldn't tell whether that was like oh is this like a flash forward to after when is it contemporaneous to when the other events of the show are taking place or is this like Yeah, and and I guess on one hand that can be sort of you know a um, a cliffhanger for the next episode, but I don't think the second episode clears that up much either. And it's not, I don't know whether it's trying to be a mystery or whether it's trying to be overt in its aims, and it just isn't clear about it. Like I I just I don't know right. how to feel about it. I I think on some level, on the one hand, the show has been episode for the first two episodes we've seen. The show has been felt pretty episodic. Like episode one covered a distinct story. Episode two covered a distinct story. They're both kind of structured like TV episodes mm-hmm. where they end with kind of this mystery teasing thing. On the other hand, there's only what? Six episodes, I think, right? To this whole thing. Yep. And I have no idea what type of show it is. Um, but I understand, Sidon, you're, you're, you're mildly irritated by this mystery. And I feel very mildly. similarly... I'm very I feel very similarly of like yeah what what is the deal what is the deal with Beverly at the end of these episodes and why is she doing that I do think it's just there explicitly to be um explicitly to explicitly to be kind of like a mystery teaser of like hey like aren't you curious what this is about you know on yeah, that note then yeah. on unfortunately that leads to a bit of dramatic obscuring because we we're not entirely sure if this is like her reflecting on the events of the show in retrospect or if right. it's, you know, big, but, it, but if it's contemporaneous instead, it's like, okay, is this her reaction to the way that Elliot is behaving in the present? Like right. in response I, to I, some I, of her controlling aspects. I, yeah. I think we can assume it is contemporaneous. I think we can assume it's like a fight club situation where she's going to these grief counseling groups in order to feel better about her life in which her sister is very controlling of her. You know, that's my, that, that feels like is, 
it is the most straightforward explanation of what's happening, and it feels pretty plausible to me. So you're, you're uh, yeah. right, but I think uh, unfortunately another problem that I have with decoding it, so to speak, mm-hmm. is that I I can tell you what the plot of the show is so far. Yeah, right. Everything with the birthing center and all that. Yeah, uh, I'm not entirely sure yet what it is about. Yeah, in terms yeah. of its characters, hundred percent, absolutely. Well. Thematically, in terms of his character, like I don't. It, you know, this does feel like a one of those situations where it's a six-hour movie, Siddhanth, even though, as I just yeah. said, it does a pretty good job of, of being episodic when, when, like, the first two episodes feel, like, very self-contained, very well done, so. Yeah, um, and, and to be to be entirely fair, like, the, the first, what was it, it's six, right? Yeah, they, they were all released at the same time and yeah. were only, you know, I don't know if it was designed to be released at the same time, because Amazon right. does release some shows weekly, some shows not. Um, but uh, we are we are talking about the first one third of something that was released altogether. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, it'll be interesting to compare like what our final thoughts were. We can say, oh, it all came together beautifully, Sanat. We we shouldn't have been concerned, or we might yeah. get to the end and say it was still a jumbled mess thematically. We we don't know. We're gonna yeah. find out though, and that's what one of the fun things about uh, about doing the show this week in streaming uh, with with you here. So uh, any other thoughts, any other things to highlight? Obviously, we haven't really talked too much about uh, Beverly's relationship with Genevieve in the show, but it seems mm-hmm. to be like a major focus of the show. Uh, pretty, I have to say, pretty weird and troubling behavior for you know th- them to like switch off. Uh, very uh, medically, ethically oh. dubious, you know, for them to kind yeah. of switch off for, for a patient. It seems like they've done mm-hmm. that many times. Um, and I think that's uh, not great. And obviously, it's dubious enough that Genevieve feels the need to bring it up as well. You know, yeah. it's just, has it been you the whole time? I did think that the way in which Elliot approached Genevieve was kind of interesting she's just asking nonstop questions. I thought that was like a really interesting approach because mm-hmm. basically it's like, basically it's like, I'm going to get as much information out of this as possible mm-hmm. uh, while revealing very little of my own personality because yeah. her, her Elliot's purpose of being there is to kind of pass Genevieve off again, very troublingly um, to her sister. So uh, uh, that was just a really interesting approach to it. I obviously haven't seen, that many twin shows or movies, but just like the the whole, it feels like they have a very refined approach to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. Very clockwork. Yeah. Any um, thoughts think, on that whole relationship and how that plays out? Yeah. So uh, without getting into, you know, specifics of the movie, uh, that is, that is something it does take from the movie. But uh, at the same time, um, the show is both aping the movie in a lot of ways, but also trying to depart from it in some ways. And, um, I think the Genevieve thing specifically is where that tension kind of comes to the fore. So I'd be interested to see how it goes about it. You know, mm-hmm. how it goes about being the movie while also not being the movie. Um, interesting bit of trivia. Again, we're not going to talk about the movie very much, but the um, the character's name, Genevieve Cotard, is uh, kind of a throwback to the equivalent character in the movie, but... Not the character's name. The character's name in the movie is Claire Naveau, but she's played by an actress named uh, Genevieve Bougeau. Mm. So that's a fun little throwback. Well, also, uh, I learned about the phrase uh, or the the term Cotard syndrome from Synecdoche, New York, because mm. the main character of Synecdoche is called Caden Cotard. 
Uh, and uh, Cotard syndrome, I'm going to read here from the internet, is a relatively rare condition uh, that was first described by Dr. Jules Cotard in 1882, which comprises any one of a series of delusions that range from a belief that one has lost organs, blood, or body parts to insisting that one has lost one's soul or is dead. So uh, I I do feel like the Cotard name is a reference to that, and I'm guessing that's going to play into the theme somehow. Speaking of really weird, unanswered things, obviously one of the things we mentioned in the recap is that uh, they have an assistant slash driver slash roommate uh, who's played by uh, Poppy, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, Poppy Liu, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who is in Dead Ringers. And she's like collecting genetic material from uh, at least one of the twins and then like deleting voicemail messages and basically trying to control her life in some control their lives in some way. It, here's, I am going to ask you about the movie. Is there an analog for that character in the movie and like what that's trying to do? Or do you, do you have no idea what's going on here? I, I have no idea. That's okay. one where uh, I'm a little lost. That That there is the bigger, that's the, the kind of more, uh, pressing mystery to me about what the show what's going on in the show like the the therapy sessions are kind of like oh beverly goes to therapy and vents about her sister that's kind of what that is this is a kind of like longer term mystery of like there's so much time is spent on episode two of her collecting hairs and her collecting razors and all this stuff uh that i just have to imagine uh it's building up to something my guess is it probably has to do with uh Elliot's experimenting on Beverly's genetic material in the lab, right? Like, so she's inducing Poppy Lou's character to like collect all of Beverly's genetic material um, for use in lab purposes, right? So that was my assumption. Yeah, but again, it's uh, it's one of uh, the things where the show doesn't have as much like dramatic clarity, and I don't mean like I wanted to reveal its mysteries. I mean like I'd like some idea of like the nature of a particular mystery. Like, I want to know what the question is before I get the answer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Whereas I think uh, the show has occasionally so far opted for obscuring rather than being clear. You know, sometimes uh, it's okay. I I, I would say the the rate of mysteries is completely acceptable on the show, you know? Uh, I I feel pretty confident that by the end we're going to get everything addressed. Whereas sometimes you feel like a show is introducing mysteries faster than it will be able to resolve them by the end. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't feel that way about this show. So we'll see if I'm right or wrong by the end. Uh, Anything else we want to discuss about the first two episodes, Siddhanth? Or or shall we get to our, uh, wrap it up and get to our, our favorite quotes from the episode? I'm just going through my notes right now, and I think that's about it. Um, I just want to call out that one shot, I think, that is towards the end of the first episode where uh, you see the twins laying down side by side, and it looks uh, like that uh, Mm. optical illusion where one person's face is, uh, I guess, facing, in this case, the camera, while the other's is, um, you know, sort of in profile, but it looks like one face. That's cool. Uh, yeah, you know, on that note, there's a couple of other sequences that I really appreciated where you see both of the twins. Um, my favorite sequence, other than the opening scene that I already talked about, is when they're at dinner with uh, Rebecca Parker. And yeah. you see them all in one shot. But, like, Elliot is kind of, like, at the edge of the frame, bar- like, barely in frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you see them both kind of react to what Rebecca is saying at the same time. Obviously, yeah. Beverly gives that great speech about why it's important for this birthing center to open. Um, 
And uh, it was just, it's just great to like, cause the shot lasts for so long. Yeah. And they both react to what Rebecca is saying in different ways. At one point, they look at each other and it's all like in one long continuous shot. And it just, uh, it made me impressed that they were able to plan this down, not only on the shot level, but on literally like the beats of the conversation level, mm-hmm. you know, in one, sh- it's not like they're cutting back and forth. They're, they're, it's all in one shot. So like they had to plan out like, okay, like precisely 17.5 seconds into this, you look at each other, you know, like, and, uh, and it's completely convincing. Now, obviously there's someone like reading the lines off screen. I know probably, but like still, it's, I just thought it was very, very impressive on a, on a technical level. So see another reason it's the anti-succession. Because succession is, you know, a very uh, almost jazzy improv-y thing with the camera. Right, right. The the camera is extremely controlled for obvious reasons in this yeah. show. I don't even think there's a single like handheld shot in in the uh, in the first two episodes, if I could recall correctly. Like every Go back and check. Yeah, yeah, every shot is like really meticulously composed, uh, and mm. every camera movement is very um, controlled. So uh, yeah, it, it does give it a feel. Whereas Succession, there's what is what are those uh, those quick zooms that they're doing? Sometimes, crash zooms, yeah. Crash zooms is sometimes like not even motivated about what's happening on screen. <laughs> you know, um, that's great. So yeah, <laughs> so there's like that is the good stuff. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, so thank you for tuning into this week in streaming again. Please follow us on all of your favorite platforms at Decoding TV. Um, next week, we're going to be covering Mrs. Davis on Peacock. And the week after, we're going to be wrapping up Dead Ringers uh, Season 1. And then uh, is more to come afterwards? Who knows? You can tell us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can find more of your work before we get to our favorite quotes this week? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at at Siddhant Adlaka, which is where I linked all my work, uh, as well as on my website, SiddhantAdlaka.com. I'm not very creative. All right. And let's get to our favorite quotes. We always like to try to end each episode by talking about favorite quotes from the episode. There was a few uh, in the episode uh, for me, but I really like that interaction that Beverly has with this random street vendor after (laughs) she has a really difficult day. You know, she says like, he says, how's your day going? He's just trying to be friendly. And she says, I'm having a fucking shit day. Fuck you asking about my fucking day. (laughs) Just really, really harsh for that guy. And I I love that guy. Like, I love that kind of role where that guy was probably brought into film for one day and to film that one scene. And he made a really big impression of just like being like an innocent bystander caught up in this person's wake. You know, I I really appreciated that. Um, Sanath, anything that you appreciated? Yeah, for me, my favorite quote, was always going to be uh, from that very first scene where the guy in the diner, quote unquote, Larry is trying to get the mantle twins to sleep with him uh, where it's where Elliot, the, the older mild spoken one says uh, you look like a Larry. So I'm going to call you Larry because actually I'm the funny one uh, because earlier in the scene, she refers to Beverly as the funny one. And I found that not only a very, you know, witty TV line, but I found it sort of, revealing about her character like like she's the one who's deciding the the personality traits of both twins and kind of deciding when they apply and when they don't and i think that very immediately speaks to her character indeed good stuff all right that's going to bring us to the end of our conversation about dead ringers episode one and two if you've been watching on youtube.com slash decoding tv thank you so much we hope you've enjoyed the conversation he is sedanta laka i am david chen we'll be back next week with mrs davis goodbye
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.